like it. Put on by our, put together by our new uh, media specialist at our Yorktown campus. So anyway, well, listen, we, it is Father's Day, so I do want to take just a minute and pray for you who are dads, uh, for God's grace and blessing in your life. So let's pray as we get underway. Lord, we are thankful today for, uh, for who you are as our heavenly father. Uh, and uh, we as dads some days find that a very intimidating example, maybe many days, uh, to follow. But I'm grateful that you have shown us what it means to lead well, to love completely and sacrificially, and uh, we're just uh, really thankful. And I thank you for the men who are represented here today who are fathers. I am grateful for the opportunities that you have given them to to minister to their families, to disciple their families, to lead them well, and to love them completely. And I, I thank you, Lord, for each one of them, and I pray your blessing on them, and I ask that you would strengthen them by your grace, and that you would uh, give them courage to be the men of God you want them to be in their homes, and uh, certainly as it extends out into their community. So I pray your blessing on them. And I now ask your kindness and favor on us as we open the scriptures, that you would uh, bless us with understanding and uh, a desire to continue to perform that which you have begun in us uh, until the day of Jesus Christ. For I ask in Christ's name, amen. All right, well, thanks again uh, for being here. Uh, it's a pretty day. We got <laughs> plenty of rain yesterday. Uh, it was uh, quite, a, quite a thing. And... Uh, so there's an old nursery rhyme that begins this way, Mary, Mary, quite contrary, how does your garden grow? Uh, I did a little bit of research on that and decided I wasn't even sure I wanted to use it because it's got a really kind of nasty history to it. So now that'll give you something to look up this afternoon. But um, it was a question that uh, Jody and I were asking a little bit a couple of weeks back. We were kind of in the debate of do we do a vegetable garden and maybe even some flowers and get some raised beds this year, which would have worked out. We're, we might do it next year now, but it would have worked out really well for me because Jody loves to mess around in dirt. And so I get to build the boxes. She grows all the stuff and then I eat the veggies. So, you know, it was a kind of a win-win for me. Uh, so we might do that next year. But the process is is harder than for those of you who do that and do it well it's not all that easy right you got to get the right spot with the right mix of sunshine and the right amount of rain and nourishment and nutrients for the plants and all the stuff that goes into it that i don't really know much about and and uh, so it's it's important that it be done well and done right so that you can have a good harvest as we think about human development and this being Father's Day and we think about our children growing and developing, there are a lot of things that are involved in that that are, of course, rather more involved and there are emotional components that we don't have to deal with with plants, right? I think, I think some of us like plants because they don't ever argue, right? They, uh, but uh, we, we have emotional components. There are physiological developmental markers, all that kind of stuff, learning right attitudes, increasing amounts of responsibility, uh, learning how to uh, retain our own personal discipline and develop. All those things are part of our personal development. We have spiritual development too, and we, we can look to the scriptures, and there are a variety of things that people have identified over the years that are really useful and helpful as it relates to uh, 
spiritual development in my personal life, things like the intake of the Bible, whether that be uh, in the church setting or in a group of people studying it or in reading it myself. There's, there's prayer, there's worship, there's evangelism and serving and stewardship and uh, fasting and silence and solace. You can read books about disciplines that will uh, help you grow personally in your spiritual life. Well, where I want to go today with all of that is to kind of broaden it out a little bit because there is also, I think, some good instruction in the scriptures uh, about how the church grows as a whole. We certainly have to grow as individuals, but I think we sometimes, particularly maybe in our culture, forget that when we become a follower of Christ, that is not purely an individual decision that now I'm a Christian and now this is about me growing as a Christian. I become part of a community of believers. I become part of the people of God. And so how does God intend for his church to grow? Now, I mentioned uh, in, as in our prayer time before the service this morning that we... Uh, we sometimes come to sections like we're in now as we really finish out the book of Ephesians. We're going to find these passages to be more and more familiar to us. We've heard them preached. We've read them, perhaps memorized sections of this. So I want to give you a challenge, which has been a challenge for me as I come to study these sections of Scripture to approach them with kind of an open hand and not assume that I already know what's being said here and what it means and to, to really listen to what God is trying to say to me. Because um, Pastor Nate mentioned in our prayer time, he heard a preacher one time say, we, we don't need nearly so much teaching in the Christian life as we do reminding, right? We, the, the, we've been taught a lot. Many of us have sat in church for a long time. And uh, so sometimes the reminders are as important as the teaching. We want to know what God says. So I want to talk today from this section beginning in verse 7 of Ephesians chapter 4, and I want to talk about this business of the growth of the church. What did God intend to do? So let's read these first 11 verses together. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, in, and he gave gifts to men. And in saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all of the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers, and we're going to finish that uh, out that thought out as we move on through here. But let me begin with these first few verses and talk about the diversity of God's gifting. And the reason I think this is important to start in just this first piece here in verse 7 is because we've spent a lot of time in the last several weeks talking about unity how we are one. We have enjoyed reconciliation with God, thus reconciliation with each other. And, and just in the last section, we said there's one body and one spirit. You were called to one hope. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. And we, we really have seen a great emphasis on the oneness that we enjoy. Now, it seems that Paul is talking about each of us. This is Paul's discussion about how 
Each one of us fits into the larger one, the larger unity of us. It is a, a, a contrast with those previous verses. And I really kind of like this thought. I've been doing some thinking on verse 7 because when we tend to think about spiritual gifts in the church, we think of, we have these, you know, kind of listings, and you, you can find at least partial listings of the spiritual gifts in Romans 12 and in 1 Corinthians 12. There, there are things that are listed there that it seems to be God has given particular giftedness to people as it related to spiritual ministry and well-being. But I think sometimes we make it so narrow that we think, I've got to find out the gift that God gave me, and then that's the thing that we work at, and we don't do anything else. And as I've, as I've read this through and thought this through and read what some others have said, I really, I've really, i come to the conclusion that I think that this idea of Christ's gift to us, and you'll see why as, I, as we look at the next several verses, but I think this has to do with Christ giving me everything I need to do, everything that God has intended for me to do. I don't know that he's being specific about, do I have one spiritual gift or do I have more than one spiritual gift, but God's gift, Christ's gift to me. So he's moving from our unity to our uniqueness. I think it's entirely possible here that the gift of Christ is God's grace and gift to each person to have specific things useful in the kingdom of God. So we have differing com com combinations of gifts. We have uh, some specific gifts, perhaps in larger or smaller quantity. Perhaps two people have a similar spiritual giftedness, but they employ it in different ways. I think that it, it creates this sense of uniqueness. John MacArthur worded it this way. Each of God's gifts is exactly what we need to fulfill our work for him. We never get the wrong gift or too much or too little of it. When the Holy Spirit gave us our gift, he presented us with precisely the right blend of abilities and enablement we need to serve God. Not only does our unique giftedness make us an irreplaceable member of Christ's body, but it is a mark of God's great love to single each of us out for unique blessing and ministry. I love that thought. I love that idea. And if we go back to Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, those are very familiar verses, right? For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. God has created us in Christ, and he has things he wants for us to do and accomplish. And not only does he give us, have those things in mind, he has given us everything we need to do that. So he has gifted us uniquely. And here's where I suspect this gift idea of making it a little broader in our thinking comes into play in these next few verses because I think they are related to Christ's victory gift. We talked about the victory that Christ won, right? Uh, in the song that we sang. Christ's victory gift, verse 8. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all things, uh, far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. 
It's a quote from Psalm 68, and it's talking about the practice in the culture in which the Old Testament was written, where if people had been uh, taken captive, taken into captivity in a nation, and another king came and defeated that king, and in a sense took captive the people who had been taken captive, now brought them back to their kingdom to live in freedom, and the habit and practice in the day was when that happened, when he brought them back, the king would give them gifts to celebrate their freedom. Upon arriving home, he would give them gifts. And the explanation here, I think, is we, we try to look for something that I, I'm not fully convinced is there. I think this simply is talking about when Christ came to earth. If you go to Philippians 2, you talk about the incredible extent to which Christ came when he came to earth. And when he died and was buried and rose again, he took captives. He took us who were captives under the uh, tyranny of Satan and sin, and he freed us to live in his kingdom, and he gave us gifts. So that's what I think that's talking about. I think the host of captives is all of us who would be freed from bondage to sin and Satan through faith in Christ. And he gifted us to serve him. And the rest of these verses talk about where that's to happen. So the purpose, why did he do that? Why did he give these gifts? In this case, here, he's talking about some gifting uh, for people in the church. He gifted certain people, certain, uh, certain people with certain gifts to the church. And what was, why did he do, or who was it that he gave? And he lists them. He gave the apostles and the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers. The apostles, there were 12 of them. Some people like to say, oh, well, but they, this one left and they added this one and okay. But basically there were 12. And after about Acts 16, you don't hear and don't read in the New Testament anything more about the work of the apostles. Paul refers to himself as an apostle later as he writes, but it's not, uh, we don't see activity of the apostles. It seems that that particular office in the church died out. So they were there for the foundational work of the church. They were there to authenticate what was going on with signs and wonders, and they did it routinely and regularly, and it enabled people to understand what was happening here in the establishment of the church was, in fact, from God. Then there were the prophets, which seemed to have had a little more of a localized ministry in churches. For example, in Acts chapter 13, when we're first introduced to Barnabas and Saul, the verse begins with, there were in the church at Antioch certain prophets and teachers. So there, were, there was these group of people who in many cases were still bringing revelation from God, were still telling people, revealing information from God, but also in some cases it seems simply explaining what God had already revealed as it became clearer as we moved into the New Testament era. So we had apostles and prophets, and according to chapter 2 and verse 20 of the letter we're reading, the... We are fellow citizens with the saints, members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. So it seems to me those ministries and those offices were foundational to the life and ministry of the church. But he also gave 
the evangelists and the shepherds and teachers. Evangelists appear to have had a rather itinerant ministry like Paul and others who traveled from place to place, like Philip uh, from, uh, who was having this incredible evangelistic opportunity in Samaria, and then the Spirit of God took him and took him down to the desert where he led the Ethiopian eunuch to Christ. And then he went to another town, Azotus, that was nearby and began and continued to use the ministry of evangelism. And we see people referred to as that. I would suggest to you that what we know today as missionaries are these people. They go to a place not intending to stay in a particular local spot forever or for a long, long time. They go there to establish a church and get it underway. And so there's a a whole set of gifting that fits into that kind of person. And then the shepherds and teachers. It doesn't even matter to me if this is one or two different sets of people. The point is God gave those people to the church who tend to stay, who tend to be there, who tend to be the ones who are in the process of teaching and caring for and leading local assemblies. And so he gave all of those gifts. Those are the gifts that he specifies that he gave. So that is the, the variety that we're talking about, okay? Or the, or the diversity, if you will, of the gifting. So why? What is the purpose of that gifting? It's because he wanted his church to grow. So the purpose had to do with God's progressive plan. God was building something. He began it with a foundation, the apostles and prophets, and he was now building on it. And Paul later on talks about how uh, he, uh, he began, he planted, and someone else watered, and so on. And the process of, of building and developing is what God was after. They are there to equip the saints. Verse 12, all these people are there to equip the saints for the work of the ministry or for works of service. The word for equipping the saints was the word used to set a bone. So you, you set a bone. I've, I've never done it, of course. We have probably those here who have. <laughs> but uh, you, you do it in such a way that as it grows back, it, uh, I'm told, is in certain respects stronger right there than it was previously. But the point is you set it so that it can be ready for full use, optimal use. You get it into a position where it's prepared to be complete and functional again. So that's what these people are to do in the church, is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Uh, Guys like me who have the opportunity to be in one of these roles in a local church have actually a variety of roles. One of them is to do the equipping, and one of them is to be one of the equipped. And so that we serve together as brothers and sisters, as part of the family, but Uh, my responsibility, Pastor Nate's responsibility, that of those who lead even here without an official title and a salary connected to it. We're here to prepare us together to do the work of the ministry and to build up the body of Christ. So the foundation is laid. We're now building. Those of you who uh, have a home that are you have you have built a home or maybe are anticipating it. You know what it means that you begin with a good foundation and then you build and you build certain things in a certain sequence. And I was involved in that for a few years. And you can't 
you can't build the roof until you've put the walls up. I mean, I suppose technically you could and then lift it up with a crane, but that would just be silly. So there is a process, there's a procedure that is in place to do the building, and that's what God's intention is by giving these gifts. So there's diversity in it, there is a purpose in it. What will the result be? Verse uh, 13 says that it's happening until we all attain to, uh, sorry, I lost my place, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. So healthy function is what we're after. Healthy function. We want to be able to see the church in these ways growing up. Unity of the faith. We are never going to agree on every single detail. Let's be realistic with ourselves. But we are going to have unity in spite of the fact that we have some diversity among us in our thinking. We're not, uh, we're not immature, we're grown-ups spiritually. One of the things I love watching in all of the kiddos around us is how they grow up, right? We watch them learn to grow, and they hit different milestones of maturity, even from the time they're babies we watch as they they learn to sit up and crawl and then stand and then walk and then they're into everything and we think, boy, I could have taken a little longer and it really wouldn't have hurt me too much, but there is a certain maturity process and so that's what's involved here. We're maturity. I like that phrase in verse 13 that we're going to attain unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. That's, a, that's an idea that isn't just talking about information about Jesus. It's, it's knowledge. It's intimate knowledge. It's a, it's a development of our relational understanding of who Christ is. That's what God is intending to accomplish. And so the result will be, the last few verses beginning in verse 14, so that, well, that's, that's a purpose clause, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So three things will result. One is stability. One is the sense of not being children not being easily shaken by circumstances. As people grow, the things that were horrendous tragedies to us as children change, right? Uh, I don't, I mean, you have examples in your own mind about that, but the, the things, you know, a scraped knee can be just an awful horrible thing until you've broken a bone, right? Or whatever happens. There are things as we grow and mature and experience in life that make the things that we thought were really huge deals earlier seem not so much of a huge deal. So we are not so easily shaken by our circumstances. We grow in our stability, not tossed around by every wind of doctrine, not set back every time somebody says something that doesn't jibe with what we've learned. We don't just get all uh, worried about anything. It's, 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 we're much more stable Number 15 is just talking about maturity. We grow up. 
Love is the sphere in which we speak truth, right? We, we've, we've talked about that previously. Uh, we, we will talk about that in just a couple of weeks. We are having put away falsehood. We're to speak the truth. Here we are told we speak the truth in love. That's a phrase we all ought to remember really thoroughly. Uh, we don't just only speak the truth. We don't get to do it and be harsh and cruel and mean and act in an unloving way and say, well, I'm speaking the truth. They're just going to have to live with it. Well, okay, but you're not being loving, perhaps, and so you need to incorporate that into the speaking of the truth. And some of us, we tend to balance to one side or the other. The other thing that's interesting to me about verse 15, we grow up into him. We grow up there is a sense in this maturity where we want to learn more. You may remember, or you may not, but I'm sure your parents would, when you were about 15, how much you knew, right? It was, it was incredible when you were 15 and 16, and, and you, you knew, well, most everything, right? And then you went off and got involved in your trade and worked a few years, or you went away to college, and it was amazing how much your parents learned in those next six or eight years, right? It was incredible, because one of the signs of maturity is recognizing how much I don't know, not thinking how much I do know, but recognizing how much I don't, and being anxious and willing to learn more. So there is something about that as we're in this process of growing together. And then sustenance is the last one in verse 16. And the sustenance comes from each other. The sustenance comes because every piece is working. Every part is working. The whole body's joined together. All the joints work right. I know the older we get, the less the joints seem to work right, right? Or at least with as much ease <laughs> as they used to. But that's the point. When the joints are working well, when they're working correctly, the body functions well. Each part works to its correct measurement, and the body builds itself up. God has designed our bodies to fight infection, right? It, there, is, there is something about the healing process that, that uh, I've had medical personnel, even who were not believers, say... I, I put the bone together, but I can't make it grow. I can't make it heal. That's the body's job. That's actually, it's the way God has designed the body to work. We, we, we help the body do what the body is already designed to do. That's the result of this kind of healthy process in the church. So the thoughts I have to take home are really simple, but I need to think about them, right? How grown up are you? How mature are you as a follower of Christ, as a member of your church? How grown up are you? Secondly, are you serving in your proper place? There's always stuff to do, and there's always too much to do, and I understand that. And I sometimes, I feel really badly sometimes when we're, we're asking more and more of our volunteers, and I get that it's it's stressful, but there is a lot that we're trying to accomplish for the glory of God, and we have to do this together. And are you building others up in their faith? That's not a task for some of us. That's a task for all of us. None of us gets to say, well, I'll let other people do the building up part. 
I'm doing this part or I'm doing that part. We are all investing in building each other up so that our, obviously our children's ministry workers do that directly. They work directly to help build up our children's faith. That's a very clear connection. But in every aspect of our ministry, I would challenge you to think about how am I being an encouragement to someone? How am I lifting someone's spirits? How am I demonstrating to someone my concern and compassion for them? How am I building other people up uh, in their faith? It's, it's really uh, an important thing. So anyway, it's, it's familiar, right? But I hope we can remember this is what we do. This is why God gave us the church. Uh, this is not a, a lesson on how do we make coastal bigger, this is, a, this is a lesson on how does the church become stronger and more effective for the glory of God. And since Coastal is a church, yes, how does that happen for us? How does it happen for our part of Coastal? How does it happen for Coastal Gloucester? How does it happen as we begin the process of trickling back to our, our full group of people and as we start thinking on into next year and as we start thinking about finishing a... Uh, a building fund campaign. The, the building fund is not the growth of the church. The physical structure is not the growth of the church. All the other stuff we do is the growth of the church. The structure is where we house the growth, right? It's where we, where we present a staging area to do some of the training, perhaps. But ultimately, the growth is happening amongst ourselves. So, uh, man, I'm really thankful. There are so many of you that are, uh, that are just super invested in this, and I'm really, really incredibly grateful. So here's what we're going to do. We're a few minutes early. I know that probably disappoints you, but uh, uh, we're going to sing a song after I pray. We're going to close, and I'm going to play that opening Father's Day loop again, because we got a couple kiddos that missed it. So uh, we're going to play that, so you can feel free to leave. Don't feel like you have to sit and watch it again if you already saw it, but it's really cute. And uh, so let's pray, and then we're going to sing, and be on our way, all right? Father in heaven, I thank you. I thank you for the church. I thank you for the fact that you have chosen to use us, Lord. It's an incredible thing. I, I, I am continually amazed that you would take me and that you would use me in the role that I am in in the church, but I'm incredibly grateful, and I thank you for my brothers and sisters that are here this morning with me and those who'll be here in just a little bit. I pray, Lord, that you would uh, bless us as we seek to follow your pattern, as we seek to be part of building each other up in love, as we seek to grow in our maturity as followers of Christ, as we, as we seek to become more stable and not get so bantered around back and forth. And Lord, I pray that you would make us lovers of learning, learning the scriptures, learning to know Christ more deeply and intimately. Uh, Lord, there's so much that we have to to pursue, and I'm thankful that you give us the grace and the giftedness to be part of that process. You've made us each a unique part. Lord, give us, give us grace to serve faithfully and effectively, for I ask in Jesus' name.